if you if you have your Bibles, please open up to Ephesians chapter four. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one right there in front of your pew. Um, when we're going through a series that is just right out of the text, this is a good opportunity for everybody to have their eyes on the text and read these things for yourself. So as we will be, um, Rod just read Ephesians 1 through 6, we will be Ephesians 1 through uh, 16 today. We'll be looking at all of these texts um, this morning. I appreciated your interaction last week. We had... Uh, um, it, it, it was great. Uh, last week we had a lot, a lot of you engaged in, in, as the Lord was speaking to you. So um, I, I am encouraged by that. And so I appreciate that if, if the Lord lays something upon your heart. We're starting to get a little bit more um, into the pragmatics. This is kind of the last week that is still a little bit more theology because this is kind of the precursor for what Paul is going to say next. And so I, um, I'm going to use, actually, the outline that I have today actually comes from a guy named Ralph Martin in the Interpretation Series. He provided a pretty good basic outline for what takes place in the passages that we're going to study, and so I'm going to kind of springboard off of that this morning. But as I begin, I want to begin service, and I want to remind you um, that God loves you and offers you a life that you have been called to live. See, there's some here, and I mean this with all full sincerity, there are some of you here today that have not said yes to a call to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I, I want to be really clear before I get into this, this message. Being a part of the church will never make sense to you unless you are a Christ follower. I'm going to say that again. Being a part of the church will never really completely make sense to you unless you are a Christ follower. Another way to put it is that I, I believe that church will do you a little good, but Jesus will do you an eternal good. Am I making myself clear? Like There are some people here, and I, I want to be, be really, really clear, because some people have, I, I believe that there's people in this congregation, maybe some that have just began coming, and some of you that have come for years, that have come to church thinking that church will fill the void that you've been looking for. And I want to tell you today, and I'm being really honest with you, church will not fill that void. At some point, at some point, this guy's going to get dull and boring. At some point, you're not going to like the songs that we sing. At some point, somebody here is going to rub you the wrong way and get on your nerves if it hasn't already happened yet. That's what happens in church. So if it's all it is is church you are seeking, church will fail you. But I promise you, Jesus will not. And so the difference here is that, is that the, the, I'm getting ready to give you a message on how both of these two work together. How if you are a Christ follower, if you've given your life over, over to Jesus Christ, then this is why you should be a part of the church. But if you are just coming for church's sake, I actually said this out, out of my own mouth. I was actually sharing my faith with someone this week. And I, I, you know, this just come, I didn't rehearse this or anything. It just kind of came out in a conversation. And this is my story. It's not your story. But I, I, I said, I have never been a fan of organized religion, and I'm a pastor. <laughs> I didn't come to Christ through church. I came to Christ because I, I began seeking him, and there were things that were happening in my life, and I gave my life to Christ driving down Enterprise Road when I was 19 years old. 
Hadn't, wasn't going to church yet or anything. So I began to love God first. And as I began to love God, I began to see what those next steps were. And surely some of those next steps were for me to be a part of a church. So I'm trying to say I'm not a part of the church because I have to. I'm part of the church because I love God and I want to. And there's, there's something that comes along with that. So I just want to be really clear because what we're about to say, what we're, we're going to talk about the church a little bit. But if you have not given your life to Christ, and if you've not realized that the reason that you are here on this earth is to serve Him, then none of these things make sense. You need Jesus more than you need church. You need Jesus more than you need just to make a little bit more money. You need Jesus more than you need to feel better and not be sick anymore. You need Jesus more than you need more friends. You need Jesus in your life first. So I want to pray for you as we begin service this morning. Lord, thank you for each and every one that has come this morning as part of the body of Christ. And now we cannot talk about the church without talking about the head of the church, whom his Christ, as his rod has just read, that there is one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we can't be a part of the body and be outside of the body. So may we all, as we begin this service this morning, may we be reminded that we are first called by Christ. And with our pursuit of Him, we, we recognize that we must be part of the body of Christ. So may we have great humility that we are part of something this morning much bigger than ourselves. And may we discern what your Spirit is saying to us in such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to pull right out of these passages five things about a life worthy of the calling. Now, that's that's what it says in Ephesians 4. One is a prisoner for the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So the first thing that I want to talk about is number one is calling. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. See, so what's happening here, and this is the last section, I promise you, the, the rest of it's going to get real pragmatic. All of these things, what I just shared to you in my little preface before I preached, before I start this this morning, that's basically what Paul did for the first three chapters of Ephesians. He was saying, you have to understand your identity first. There's no reason to be a part of a church if you're not a Christian. There's no reason to live as a Christian if you're not a Christian. And so he's setting up the identity. This is who you are first. This is who you are in Christ And now, if you are in Christ, you are in a body of some people that are bigger than you. And so here is this last little section here where he's given the preface, preface and the rest of this whole book of Ephesians is going to be very practical. If you you have a header in your Bible and you look at Ephesians 4.17, now we're getting into instructions for Christian living. So what he says here is calling. The language he uses is calling. And so all of us need to understand you are called by God. That is your identity. That doesn't, that's not my identity as a pastor. That's not Billy Graham's identity. I mean, that's not, excuse me, that's not just my identity as a pastor. That's not just Billy Graham's identity. That's not Joel Osteen or, or Stephen Furtick's identity just, just because. This is all of your identity. You are all called by God. One of the greatest problems facing the church today is that we don't think of ourselves as called. We think, well, the pastor's called, and and the pastor's called to do the ministry. Or we don't see ourselves 
An example in our county, we don't see ourselves as called to help fix the heroin epidemic in our county. We don't see ourselves as called to reach people with the gospel. Or if we did, we would be doing it more often. We, we, have, people, we have people in our congregation that see ourselves as called. We, we, we may see ourselves as called to manage facility. We're called to run children's ministry. Some that are called to sing on Sundays. But I, I want to tell you, if you sit here in the pew today and you don't know what your calling is. Now hear me. Can I ask you today to stop checking off the list of things that you are not called to? And start, doing a, and start creating a list of things that you are called to. I'm going to say that again. If you're sitting here in this pew today and you do not know what it is that you are called to, will you stop checking off the list and naming all the things, well, that's not me, that's not for me, I'm not into that, I'm not that, and start creating a list of things that you know that you are called to. If you are a Christ follower, you're called to forgiveness. You're called to you don't, you, we don't need a program for you to shake somebody's hand in the morning when they come in. We don't need a program for you to put a smile on your face when somebody comes in. We don't need a program for you to open your mouth and sing a song when we're all singing together. And you'd be surprised if you start recognizing all the things that you are called to where ministry could begin to spring just from that. So when we think of ourselves as called, that means we are called to do something. And those things are not a mystery They're loaded right here in the text of God's word that has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. So we're going to talk about gifts in a minute, but I want to make sure you hear this loud and clear. Your greatest ability is your availability. I'm going to say that again. Your greatest ability is your availability. Your willingness to say, yes, I am open to that. Yes, I am willing. Now, calling is great, But compared to these next items that I'm going to mention, it's some of the weakest language to describe yourself as a Christian. Because as I just told you, everybody's called. When I go to Bible college, that's all everybody talks about. Well, I'm called to do this, and I'm called to do this, and I'm called to do this. And at some point, we'll see if they actually live out their calling, if they actually do what they know that they're called to do. Being called is one thing, but taking the next step is now what we're going to talk about. So the second thing he says in verses 3 through 4, he says, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The second thing is unity. The text says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the next thing I want to encourage you is once you recognize that you're called, once you can make a list of things that you know you're already called to do, you don't need a pastor to tell you, you don't need somebody else in church to tell you, you know because it is in the word of God. You're called to serve, you're called to have compassion. And so once you recognize yourself as one who is called, find your place within the church. And this says... This, this text says, now this, this text that Paul is speaking here, especially in verse 4, he's talking about the universal church, but it also, of course, means the local church. It's all connected. I was looking at Barna statistics. Barna statistics say that 73% of people in America claim to be Christian. Now that number's high, but you need, it's scary to say that number has gone down. 
Um, 73% of people in America claim to be Christian. 31% have a church that they call their home church. I didn't even say they attend regularly. I said they have a church that they call their home church. So what, so what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of people with the, the passage that Paul just gave us, there's a lot of people that, are, that claim to be Christians that are saying, I don't need the body. I'm a Christ follower, but I don't need the body of Christ. No, thank you. That's not for me. I'm good by myself. I'm good doing my own thing. Me and God, we got our own thing that we've worked out. <laughs> it's on our terms. And so really what you're saying, it's on this own little Bible that I've written for myself. Come on. And that church, you have to see, that's what keeps happening all across our, our world today. I'm, I'm sorry to say, I'm not, I'm not going to preach on this, but it's happening in our denomination. We're continuing to find ways to devalue this word to where, well, you can't, really, you can't really take anything in there literally anymore, so you might as well just kind of close it up and let's just tell stories about good things on Sundays. And come on, that's what's happening. That's a lot of times, a lot of places, what you're starting to see happening now. Or we're attaching ourselves to political issues. We're making the church a political thing. And so come on, we need men and women that will return to this and Christ followers that realize that we are called to be part of the body, not create our own new Bible. And one of the first things that, that you've committed to as a Christ follower, that you have said, I am no longer living under my own authority. I am now going day by day to begin to take this as a new authority over my life and allow his spirit to begin to transform me. And unless you've taken the step to do that, as I prayed for you at the beginning of service, this whole church thing, it won't ever make sense to you. Now, we have... See, the, the, the simple difference, so I just gave you, when I gave you the statistics, the 73 and the 31, those were statistics here in America. We sat a, a couple weeks ago with a guy from the EYM, which is a branch of the Church of the Brethren in Nigeria. Significantly smaller church. The church in Nigeria is about, the Church of the Brethren branch in Nigeria is about to outgrow the Church of the Brethren in the United States. We're sitting with a guy the other day that preaches to thousands of people every morning in Nigeria. Do you know what the difference is? The church in Nigeria is persecuted. They realize that they need each other. They realize that they need to come together. They realize that there is one body. And they take that with great reverence and something incredibly sacred. And you know what's kind of funny too? Is they don't start to, they don't have all these minor things that they wrestle with anymore because that being a Christ follower is a big deal to them, and they have big things that they wrestle with, like whether they're going to live tomorrow or whether they're going to die tomorrow. And so when there's a need, the church comes together and comes together as one. I want to tell you today that you are called to be part of one body. You are called to be in unity, and you are called to find your place in the church. And yes, you are called to other people that are not like you. <laughs> Isn't that the hardest part for us to swallow? Well, I would never do that. I don't know why he said that. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Of course it doesn't, because you're not them. <laughs> Their mind works differently than yours does. Their personality is different than yours. And that's this beautiful mess that we call the church. So we're called to be unified. The third one is grace. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace has been given. 
That darn clock is still fast, and now i got, I got to check my phone here. So each one of us, grace has been given. Now, so I want to tell you, the church is an, is an organism. Or, or, organ, organism. Gosh, i got to be careful with that word. The church is an organism, all right? Now, the word that is in Scripture here is charis. Now, Paul used it, the, the word, it's the same word that we get grace from. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul uses that word in a different way. By that, I mean he's still talking about grace, but he's, if you take a look at verse 7, he's talking about gifts. He's still talking about something that you've been given that you don't deserve because that's what grace is. But he's talking about something that is in something that's distributed from God. But now he's talking about something that's much more tangible. He mentions prophets and evangelists. Um, so what he's talking about is that you have been given gifts now to fulfill your calling. See, you, I'm going to say that again. You've been given gifts, spiritual gifts, distributed have, have been distributed to you to fulfill your calling. Now, this part sounds good. We love to know what our spiritual gifts are. But the part that doesn't sound good is when, the past, when I turn around and tell you this, that you have not been given every spirit. You, you, you may not have a gift to completely fulfill all of your calling. Because the truth is, you need God. Your power is made perfect in weakness, and you need each other. That's the crazy thing, the way things work. We all get gifts, but we need to use our gifts together. I would, one thing that stood out to me at district conference, and I don't know if Putt and, and Marsha, if you remember this, but um, the guy that was preaching said that he was talking about how babies have this, this we have this eternal need for human interaction. It's, it's geared. We're wired that way in our brain. It begins as little kids. And if we don't continue, listen, this is true. If we don't continue to, to interact with humans on a regular basis, in, in so many words, there's different words that they, they use to describe this, but I'm just going to use a real simple word that you understand. If you don't interact with humans on a regular basis, you get dumber. <laughs> okay? That's basically what happens. Because you, you, you kind of box yourself in your own world and think of everything in one way, and you're, you're no longer interaction, interacting with others, and your brain is actually created so that that happens. So you have been given a gift. There is something unique, special about you. There's something that you have that perhaps nobody else has, but you were created to use that in a body. The fourth thing is maturity. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The church member's goal is maturity. And I, I got to tell you, so, so I want to make sure we understand the difference in maturity. Here's what Paul says in this verse. He says in, in verse, I want to read that again in verse 13. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Here's, listen to these last lines. And I want you to raise your hand I want you to raise your hand if you've achieved this, okay? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Raise your hand if that's you. Oh, I just got you to do something. I just got you to admit that you have not arrived yet. I just got you to admit that you have not become completely mature. Can you all agree to that, what you just, what you just didn't shake, raise your hand for? I just got all of you to admit that we still need to grow. I've been working with teenagers a lot more lately, and I still, most of you know, I still coach, coach basketball. And I have to confess, I was, ta I was talking with someone else. 
One of the reasons, there's many reasons why I love working with teenagers, but here's just a simple stat that we were kind of talking about that I realized that about eight to nine out of ten teenagers that I talk to, it's not hard for them to recognize that they need to change and realize that there's something about them that they need to grow. It's part of their life. And they'll be able to talk openly about it. They'll be able to share, this is something I need to work on. Because they know they're going to grow a little bit more. They know they're going to naturally become a little bit more mature as they become older. You know, I'll go into my basketball team this year that won four games last year, okay? It's not going to be a hard sell for me to tell them, hey, we're not very good. We have to get better. They're going to realize that. They're going to agree to that. That's not going to be that hard. But the truth is, if I, if I was really honest, when, I, when working with, with adults, people that have claimed to be Christ followers for years, I'd be lucky if I could find two out of ten people that could be transparent of how they know they need to change spiritually. Amen. So I'm, let me make it really clear. That is not spiritual maturity. You just confess that you're not done yet. So if we can't track where we are growing spiritually today, then we are not becoming more spiritually mature. If some of you get what I just said, that would you be saying amen, because this is a lot of times, church, in our church and around the world, what is missing. We are not people that are concerned with growing anymore. We might as well figure that we've already arrived and we're all done and we're all set. But spiritual maturity is about committing your lives to continuing to change and yielding to the Holy Spirit and being transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the last part. See, it's all tied together here. The last thing, and this doesn't come directly, this word doesn't come directly in Scripture, but it's the word assessment. And man, if you're an educator, educators hate that word, assessment. Because everything, they all, every, every, it seems like every year the state's coming up with another new way to assess how we're teaching our kids. And now we got to fit this mold. And now we got to do this. And, and so, but, but Paul actually lays something out for us here in these last verses, verses 14 through 16. He says, then, a day, talking about a day when we continue to grow, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful skimming, scheming. Gosh, I'm mispronouncing words today. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Paul gives an assessment at the end of this section to describe what this growth will look like. And so I'm going to pull three things out of here real quickly. The first thing he says when he talks about being tossed and back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind, we are not influenced by the world, but rather we are moved and burdened by the world to act. In other ways, do our lives, here's a point of assessment, do our lives look different than that of the world? I'm not going to preach too much on this. I'm just going to lay it out there. The next one, he says to speak the truth in love. That's a bold statement there. Speak the truth in love. Are we building each other up in love? In other words, is there some spiritual accountability Do you care enough about that person to ask them about sin in their life? 
Do you care enough about that person next to you to ask them, hey, how are you, are you praying in the morning? Are you connected to Christ? Do you care enough about that person next to you to ask them, what's God speaking to you today? And then if you're asking those questions, will you be honest enough to tell them, hey, I just, hey, I love you, and I've watched this pattern happen in your life, and can I just ask you this and just kind of tell you what I see? See, you begin to pray for them, you begin to, to hold them accountable, you, you, you then naturally get permission to speak into their life. And this is one way that Paul gives us that we can, that, to assess whether this church is growing in maturity. And finally, he says that all, that, that by every, verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The last thing is, is each member doing their part? Is everyone finding a way to get involved? Now, I wouldn't, um, this last, as I conclude, here's what I, what I will want to tell you, I do want to tell you about because it's relevant to our council meeting coming up next and it's relevant to some of the things that, that I've been doing here in our congregation. So I figure now is an opportunity to tell you about it, Okay. The board yesterday approved an, an a, a little bit of a change that you'll be voting on in our council and how we're simply doing our ministerial commission. The reason I'm talking about this now is because basically we've just created a team that is going to be concerned about those things that we just had. We never talked about those verses, but that's basically exactly what we're doing. We're beginning to ask each other questions of how we are growing spiritually and how can we help people in our congregation to take next steps spiritually. And there, there is a change that we'll talk about today. The change is that these people are actually recruited. They're people that, that want to do these things, that have a heart to do these things. But what I want to say, the reason I'm even mentioning this now is because I don't ever want to create the mentality that it's just this committee's job to do this. This is all of our job to do this. We all ought to be concerned with the spiritual health of our church. The spiritual health of our church means the spiritual health of each individual. And the assessment that Paul gave is that our, do our lives look different than, the, than those in this world? Are we building each other up in love? Are we, are we accountable? And is everybody finding a way to get involved and continuing to build each other up? So I leave us with this challenge of Paul's. Because this is something I can't have an altar call or anything like that. But this is something that all of us have to consider. Consider our role and what the Lord is calling us to do as members of this local body today. So I need your help. We need your help. And so can we consider how the Lord would have us move, how we are called? How can we take a step forward in unity? What is the gift that the Lord has given me? Am I growing to become mature? These are some things that we're going to consider as we go to the Lord in prayer. So let's pray. Well, Lord, once again, I thank you for each and everyone here. And today, as we've heard your word, it is, it is not one that I hope we just walk out and not recognize that we have a responsibility. You are speaking to me this morning. Lord, I have a call to be more intentional in my relationships and my conversations. I have a call uh, to be uh, more forgiving and not carry petty grudges at times that I often carry too long. Lord, I have a call to, uh, to, to be more affirming and so, Lord, I hear what you are speaking to me personally today. And so, Lord, all across this room, I pray that our people begin to recognize how you are speaking them, speaking to them. 
and that we would say yes to how you are moving us together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.